You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Believe that he cares about your problem. When you take it to him, he's going to say something to you. And whatever he says to you, be sure you do it. And it's in obeying his advice that his grace and his power are released. You've got problems, everyone in here does, because you're human beings. Have you taken them to him? As Christians, it's easy to have moments of ignoring the Lord, whether we're facing a challenge that seems too great or relapsing to past failures. Oftentimes, we try to hide our problems from God. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that it doesn't matter what you're going through, God's mercies will always set you free. You are chosen by God and set apart for accepting Him into your heart. Stop avoiding the perfect love of God and be transformed. Turn to the Lord first in every trial you encounter. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of John chapter 2 as he continues his message, The God Who Chose a Wise Mother. When we read that the wine ran out, we need to understand that this was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was, it was real pressure, particularly for the wedding host, which uh, is called the master of the feast in the Bible, but who we would call the wedding planner. I worked with a wedding planner last night, and they've got it down. This was the wedding planner. And for, for something like this to happen at a first century wedding was huge pressure and embarrassment for the wedding planner, the master of the feast. So at this point, the host or the wedding planner was really dismayed. And Jesus' mother, Mary, saw this. She realized what was going on. And so she approaches Jesus about the dilemma. She said, Jesus, we got a real problem. And, and the Bible says, she said to him, they have no more wine. They're out, son. They've got a terrible lack. They've got a crying need. We've got a real problem here, Jesus. Now, Jesus replied in a way that seems harsh. I used to really wonder about this verse and wonder why he talked this way. He says, woman, woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now, Jesus' use of the term woman Sounds like he's reproving her, rebuking her, jumping on her, or kind of saying, hey, you know, this isn't my problem, so go away, as if she was interfering in something that didn't really concern her or him. But there was no such reproof or disrespect intended by the use of the term woman instead of mother. Uh, It's the same term, if you look at the Bible, by which Jesus very tenderly addressed Mary after he had risen from the dead. She'd gone in the tomb, he wasn't there, and she starts weeping and she sees him and thinks he's the gardener and he says to her, woman, why are you crying? Now he could have said Mary, but he said woman. And he used the same term again with his mother when he was hanging on the cross. I want you to think about this. He's hanging on the cross, there's his mother. She is seeing what Simeon had so many years before predicted that a sword would pierce her own soul as Jesus grew and paid the ultimate price for our sin. He's hanging on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. There she is. Jesus looks down 
It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, talking about John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So it was not a term of disrespect. It was actually a term of respect. And he used it more than once in the Bible. So woman, what is, this is not my time yet. Why are you coming to me with this problem? Now, after Jesus had responded this way to Mary, she provided the answer to the problem. Now, folks, life is full of problems. Problems pop up all the time. Here was this great wedding going along. Everybody's happy, joyful, celebratory. Everybody's having a great time. This couple's getting married. Jesus is at the wedding. And all of a sudden, there was a problem. A problem came out of nowhere. It surfaced, and it became suddenly a very big deal. And she provided the answer we all need to hear whenever there's a problem in our life. And I love this answer. The answer she gave was the best advice a mother could ever give to any child or anybody could ever give to anybody. It is power-packed, full of wisdom. Here, here it was. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want us to say that together, can we? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. How simple is that? But how profound. In a time of lack, obey him. In a time of need, seek him. In a time of crisis, turn to him. When there is a lack, a need, a problem, a crisis, a, a, a something that must be resolved, she said, whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Now, I've thought and thought about those simple seven words. It is seven, isn't it? Whatever he says to you, do it. Just seven words. All right. And, and many things have occurred to me I've never thought about. Her advice immediately presupposes that the person with the problem is going to go to him with it. Because how is he telling you what to do if you haven't first gone to him? So her advice presupposes the simple, basic wisdom that when there's a problem, you go to him. She didn't say go to the master of the feast. She didn't say go to the wedding planner. She didn't say ask one of the disciples. And she didn't say figure it out for yourself. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Which assumes the problem has first been taken to the Lord. That old song, oh, how, 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 how often... We miss the peace of God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. My experience is we try everything, and then finally as a default option, we go to him last. When in fact, we ought to go to him first and save ourselves all the time and trouble. When there's a problem, you go to him. When there is a need, you go to him. When there's a lack, you go to him. When you don't know what to do, you go to him. She said, whatever he says to you, that's what I want you to do. I advise you to do that. And her statement also presupposes that Jesus would even care about the problem. I want you to stop thinking about this. What his wedding? He was just an invited guest. Yet Mary believed 
that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. So she says, you need to go to him and, and, and realize that though it may seem insignificant to you, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Church, I want to tell you, if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus. Right now, I have lost my iPhone. It's somewhere in this world. I lost it today. But you know what I know? Jesus is going to show me where it is. I'm going to find it. You know what I know? He cares that I've lost my iPhone. He said, come on, Pastor Jeff, he's running the universe. Let me tell you, if it matters to me, it matters to him. If it matters to you, it matters to him. What did it matter to Jesus that they had run out of wine at a wedding, that he was only an invited guest? It mattered because it mattered to them, and they came to him about it. Church, I want you to know Jesus cares, and Mary believed that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. And the fact that he did do something about it, that he went so far as to perform the first miracle of his ministry at this wedding shows that Jesus cares about the things that matter to us, no matter how insignificant they may seem. He cares about the least and about the greatest, anything that pertains to you and me. And let me tell you why. Because he desperately, crazily, profoundly loves you. He cares. And I got to tell you, I can't get away from it. For me, it's very significant that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, a wedding between a man and a woman. There is no doubt that Jesus blessed this wedding between a man and a woman because he has sanctioned marriage. Moses said, for this reason, a man shall leave. This is what I preached on last night in the wedding. I took a whole different tact with the wedding last night than I ever have. And I just read the verse for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why do a man and woman come together? Because they meet, a friendship develops, a romance develops, and one day they both wake up and say, I can't live without you and I can't live without you. And so they decide to get married. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. That's what it said. Now, Genesis said that. Moses was the first to write that. And then Jesus repeated it, affirming what Moses said. And so God's model for marriage is a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony one man, one woman, four life, that's it. That's the way God intended it to be. And no matter how hard you try to make it something else, you can't make it something else. That's what it is. And so Jesus decided to perform his first miracle at a wedding. That says something to me. He says, I'm for marriage. So Mary advised that we go to him with our problems, that he cares about our problems. And then third, she said, and this is really the crux of it, whatever he says to you, be sure that you do it. Whatever he says to you, because he's going to tell you something, I want you to do it. Mary believed that if they took their problem of lack and their problem of need, that Jesus would speak to the problem. He would give a directive. He would offer a solution. He wouldn't say, well, you know, that's really not my issue, not my problem. And 
Go, go work it out yourself. No, no, Mary fully anticipated if they went to Jesus, Jesus would say something and they must be certain that they did it. She expected him to speak to the problem. Let me ask you a question tonight. When you go to him with a problem, do you expect him to speak to it? Do you expect him to have anything to say about it? Do you expect him to intervene and interpose himself into your problem? Do you have the anticipation and the faith and the expectation of Mary? Because she said, if you go to him and you tell him the problem, he's going to say something to you. And whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Our Lord is a savior with solutions to our deepest problems. There's not a problem you face that there is not wisdom in Jesus to fix it. I'm going to say that again. There's not a problem you're facing, not a mountain you're climbing, not a valley you're passing through that Jesus does not have a word. And this is where Christianity is different from any other world religion because the other world religions have key figures that don't talk, that don't counsel, that don't advise, that don't guide, that don't lead. But Isaiah, describing the coming Messiah, said, you will call his name wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does a counselor do? He counsels. He dispenses advice. He dispenses wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let me say this again. Your Savior, your Lord, your Messiah, your Christ, your Jesus gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. When do they proceed from his mouth? When you go to him with the problem. And you say, Lord, here it is. Here, here, here's Here's what I'm up against. It's a dilemma. It's a mystery. It's a vexation. It's a need. It's a lack. It's a, it's a perplexity. I don't know what to do, where to go, what to do, or, or, or where to turn. What do you say? And the Lord gives wisdom. And out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. James said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. i got to read that again because that's good news. <clears throat> you say, well, I'm not very smart, Pastor Jeff. I'm not educated. And I, and I really haven't been a Christian very long. doesn't matter. This isn't about you. It's about him. It's telling us what he will do to the least of these, his brethren. If you need wisdom, and wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge and gain a solution. If you need wisdom, you go to our generous God and he will will give it to you. He will speak and he will not rebuke you for asking. What are you doing coming to me, bugging me when I'm flinging more stars into space or when I'm answering Billy Graham's prayers and doing big things in the world? Don't bother me with your little stuff. No, 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 no. He says, he will not rebuke you for asking him what to do. I've already said, Lord, where is my iPhone? Now, I know he knows where it is, and he's going to lead me to it. And he has led me to lost keys. I'm one of these people, if I didn't have my head screwed on, I'd be saying, Lord, where's my head? Where'd I leave it? And, and, you know, he helps me. And he cares about the little, and he cares about the great. 
He cares about the seemingly insignificant and he cares about the profound. Jesus told the servants, here's what you do. They went to him, they said, hey, we're out of wine and and your mother gave us the expectation that you would have an answer. He said, here's what you do. See those six large water pots over there? They carry 20 to 30 gallons a piece. I want you to go fill them with water. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. I don't think you heard us. We're out of wine. We don't need water. We're out of wine. But he, he, he didn't say, go do what I tell you to do only if you understand it. He said, go fill six water pots, 20 to 30 gallons each with water. It made no sense in the natural scheme of things, but they did it. They did it as Mary had said, whatever he says to you, do it. And if they had only listened and not done it, there would have been no miracle. Now, folks, this is what I want us to get tonight as believers in Jesus Christ and committed Christians. And I hope everybody in here is. And if you're not, you can be tonight easily by simply surrendering. But here's the deal. To receive a word from God is meaningless and useless unless you do what he says. You must do. You know what I've noticed about Jesus? He always required an action of faith prior to a miracle. He always required an action response prior to doing a miracle. Man came up to him with a withered hand. His hand was withered, useless. He couldn't pick anything up. It was useless to him. It was a withered, wilted, atrophied hand. And and he, he wanted healing. And Jesus said, stretch it out. Well, there were people watching. There was a crowd watching. And I'm sure this man thought, why should I stretch out this embarrassing, hopeless, withered hand? Why can't you just heal it? Because he always requires an action of faith response to what he says do. And so the man, the man did this. And between here and here, it straightened out and healed and was totally whole. And and, and the miracle happened in the doing of the word of God. I got to think of feeding the multitude. He's looking at 5,000 plus women and children, 5,000, huge crowd. And he says, how are we going to feed all these people? And And he said, what do we have? Well, Lord, all we've got is five loaves and two fishes. And he said, give them to me. Now, if they had not given him the five loaves and two fishes, there would have been no feeding of the multitude. Do you get it? That little boy gave up his sack lunch. That his mama made him, when he said, I'm gonna go hear Jesus. She said, well, take this sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And he took it and Jesus said, I need something. I need something. I'm requiring an action of faith. Give me what you have. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And suddenly five loaves and two fishes became an endless supply of bread and fish for this massive crowd. And there were 12 baskets left over, one for every one of the 12 disciples. When did it happen? If they had stood there and said, we have nothing but a sack lunch and we're not gonna give that to you because you need more than, nothing would have happened. God's power and grace were released when they did what he said. Raising Lazarus, there he is, four days in the tomb. He has already experienced rigor mortis. 
He has already been embalmed. He's down there in the bottom of that tomb. And Jesus walked up to the tomb and he required a step of faith. He, re, re, he required an action. He said, roll away the stone. There was resistance. Mary said, if we roll away that stone, there's gonna be a terrible odor because he's four days dead. Jesus said, you don't understand. Faith activates God's power when it acts. James said, faith without an action is dead faith. Whatever he says to you, said this wise teenage woman, do it. Be sure that you do it because he's going to talk to you. He's going to say something, but be sure you do it. Be sure you absolutely walk on the word. Be sure you walk on what he says. Be sure you put feet to your faith. And so the Bible says they filled these six water pots up to the brim. And Jesus said, now draw some out. So they took out some kind of a scooper or whatever, and they drew it out. And then Jesus said, now, now take it to the wedding planner. Take it to the wedding planner. Now, when it turned, I don't know. Did it turn when they poured the water in at first? I don't know. Did it turn when they drew some out? I don't know. Did it turn when they were on their way to the wedding planner with it? I don't know. With the 10 lepers, they said, heal us, Lord. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they went, they were healed. As they put feet to their faith and did what he said, they were healed. You know why some people never have God really doing much in their life? Because they hear and they hear and they hear and they hear and they hear, but they never do. The word is to walk on. It's to stand on. It's to act on. And so watch this. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, and they were sitting there with a big smile on their face, Cheshire cats. They knew who had done it. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then he brings out the inferior, but you have kept the best until now. Notice things went from good to best when Jesus was obeyed. This wisdom that God gave mother Mary, powerful. Here's her advice. In summary, take your problem to him. Believe that he cares about your problem. When you take it to him, he's going to say something to you. And whatever he says to you, be sure you do it. And it's in obeying his advice that his grace and his power are released. You've got problems, everyone in here does because you're human beings. Have you taken them to him? And having taken them to him, have you sat there long enough to listen to what he said for you to do? He'll speak out of this. He'll speak out of a message like this right now. He'll get at you with a word from a hundred different directions. There have been times I've just been driving down the road, skipping through radio stations and come across somebody that bloop, said something and hit me right between the eyes and I knew it was a word from God. It, listen, if you've asked God for an answer, his answer is gonna find you. His advice is going to get to you. And when it does, you got to do it. 
marriage counseling. Listen, getting out of a habit, getting out of financial trouble, whatever the problem is, you must do it. Have you ever felt like your life is hanging by a thread? Have you ever felt so lost in your mistakes that you don't know how you'll ever pull yourself out of it all? Today, we learn from Pastor Jeff that the only way to truly change your life for the better is by accepting the perfect grace of God. No matter how hard you work to fix it all on your own, you'll never be able to pull yourself out of your despair. Give all your burdens to God and be transformed. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. When you look at the world around you, what causes you to believe in something? Do you have to see physical proof? Or if something feels right, do you just believe? In his next message, Pastor Jeff explains that the best decision you can make is putting your faith in Jesus. When you leave behind the lies of this world and seek after Him, you will be set free. No matter how improbable it may seem, God's perfect love will give you power beyond the grave. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the series, The God Who, right here on Hardwired.